Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. I am Josh Blaze, and we got another great cast for you this episode. We're going to be talking about the act of modding a video game. And to join me for tonight, we have the lead designer at Pavonis Interactive. They are the team that made the very extensive mod Long War for XCOM and XCOM 2, and he's going to talk a little bit about the process that went into it and what's going on with his studio in the coming weeks and months. So please welcome to the podcast, John Lumpkin. Hi there. Hi, John. It's a pleasure to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. I was also talking to John before we started the recording, but we did a email interview about the Long War Mod. I think this would be about two to three years ago. It may have been a little bit longer than that, but this is our first time actually sitting down and chatting. So it is great to have you on. And I said this in the written email, but I also want to say it here. Definitely congratulations on the success and just the renown that you guys have gotten from the Long War Mod. Thank you. It was uh, not uh, really what 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 I expected when we started out, but um, it's uh, it's worked out great. It's been a lot of fun and uh, very educational. For sure. And we're going to be talking about that and also kind of the history of what how the Long War mod came to be in the coming minutes. For any longtime fans of Game Wisdom listening to this cast right now, chances are a few of the questions will most likely repeat from that written interview, but I can promise we got a lot more to talk about today. So, to begin with, John, for people who haven't heard of Pavonis or the Long War mod, could you talk a little bit about what they are? Okay, uh, so we started... Um uh, or I guess Long War and then this entire endeavor uh, started uh, early 2013. Um, I had played the original XCOM in the 90s, and a friend told me there's a new one coming out, so I had to have it. <laughs> Got it the day it came out um, and played it, loved it, won it, finished it, and thought, I, I, want, I want more. Uh, so I went to look, um, look for mods like anyone in my shoes would and, um, didn't really find much and, um, kind of f started, fell in on, on the Nexus website, which is a modding host site. Um, and there were just a very small group of people figuring out the very basics of modding XCOM. It was not set up for modding at all. Um, you could you even had to make some some changes to the exe file to uh, change to make even change just the simplest of data values in the game um and so this some of those people they started to figure some of this out um and so i made my own and i initially just made it so i could play it myself um changed some values made the game longer and a little more uh challenging at certain points um that uh, you know, pl places where I felt like uh, there could be some interesting choices for the player, but there there wasn't. Um, it was really interesting. XCOM had a ton of kind of, I guess, what you'd call design space, mm -hmm. uh, directions you could take it or challenges you could throw at the player um, that it hadn't, 
uh, entirely utilized. And it's not a criticism. I mean, that's just the way they made the game, but there was room for, for a lot more. Uh, so I started to fill it in to the best of my limited abilities. Now I have, you know, I had 12 hours of computer science in college and I programmed some games just for a few friends in college. Um, and this was in the nineties and, um, I had, and then for fun, I'd made a, a Neverwinter Nights module in the early aughts. Um, but that was the extent of my sort of, you know, uh, modding or game experience. And um, so in in so I started to work on the game and then posted some questions on the Nexus and uh, some people answered. Uh, and one of them was uh, – uh, a, a Nexus user, Aminari, uh, who was a, uh, uh, she had some experience in software engineering. And so we started to work together. And that's really where Long War started. We worked on Long War Enemy Unknown for a while, really kind of off and on for 2013. And this was all just a hobby. Mm-hmm. This was something I did in my free time uh, to kind of blow off some steam from grad school. And, um, it, it, you know, and at some point along the way, I put it out just for other people to play it and got a much, and I almost talked myself out of doing it. I said, nobody's going to like this, <laughs> I, you know, um, but I did put it out there on the Nexus and, and some people played it and enjoyed it and we kept, we got good feedback. Um, so that motivated me and, and, uh, the others to kind of keep working and that was really through all of 2013 and then um, uh, the the sequel – or not the sequel, excuse me, the expansion, Enemy Within, came out um, for XCOM. And there we really took off uh, it, mm-hmm. uh, and, and started to uh, kind of impose more sort of formal development on what we were doing now – the on the technical side, what we were doing was uh, what's known as hex editing, which is um, you know we we had some software that let us look at a lot of the XCOM code, um, but you can't reprogram it and you know like with a compiler, which is the normal way of programming, you compile and and all that that didn't work, so we had to change the individual bytes inside the game files. Uh, which is nuts. Um, and, but, and, and this was largely, uh, Aminari who figured out how to do this. Um, and with some others and it started out, we just changed some constants in the code and then we learned how to create actual, you know, new strings of, of commands and function calls and that sort of thing. Um, and there were still limits. There were things we never figured out how to do, like put in new 3d models. Um, so we were limited, but we kept working on it. Um, we would figure out how to add something and then we'd add it. We'd get feedback from our, our growing player base. Um, it was um, uh, really, I mean, it was fun. It was very much a community experience. I mean, I, I kind of served as the coordinator and made the final calls on, on design um, but our team grew as we did this. We added some other programmers, some, some artists, um, oh, a couple dozen voice actors uh, who wanted to – because the, 
the voice acting in XCOM didn't, there wasn't like British accents or Australian <laughs> accents, um, which was a shame because one of the, one of the great things about the XCOM story is that it's not just Americans saving the world. It's, it's this international team. Um, so you want lots of, lots of different nationalities represented fully, not just by name and a little flag. Um, so we, we added more countries, we added new voice actors, um, I even got an email from somebody in Laos who said they had never seen their country in a game before, but we added it as one of the countries that soldiers could come from. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, um, Anyhow, and, and around then, I mean, we started getting some coverage in the games media. Um, we started um, uh, getting even some attention from Firaxis. Um, when, uh, Jake Solomon tweeted about us in a very positive way, which was great. Um, so it was, it was, you know, it just grew. It kept, we kept doing it. It kept being fun to do. Um, we never really, I mean, I see a lot of mods that out there that start with a kind of a grand plan of here's what we're going to do. And we didn't have that. We just sort of, we would figure out, okay, Hey, here's how we can add new weapons for XCOM to carry. All right, let's design those and let's get them in the game. Um, but we don't have 3D models. Well, Unreal has this trick where you can squash a 3D model, and we tried it on the gu- game's guns, and they actually looked okay. So that's where we had new, we had submachine guns and car- carbines and that sort of thing. Um, and. So we, and then we wrapped that up and, you know, my grad, grad school was coming to an end and it felt like long war was coming to an end. Um, so we, um, uh, kind of were starting to wind down and that's, uh, when 2k came calling. Mm. All right. And we'll talk more about, uh, 2k and XCOM 2 probably in the next few minutes, John. Okay. But uh, I have a few questions for you that kind of came up during our brief little history of sure. lesson there. I guess one thing that I wanted to touch on, this is kind of for people listening for uh, listening to us right now, regarding the modding aspect. Mm-hmm. As you said at the start, XCOM was not originally designed around modding support. Right. And like I said uh, before we began, I'm not a programmer by trade, so I know things from pretty much a high-level perspective. Mm-hmm. But for folks listening to us right now who are programmers or either potential or current modders, mm-hmm. what does that mean when you say that XCOM was not originally built for modding, like from like a programming standpoint? Right. Um, I mean, and we, we, we've, we've kind of mapped this. I would say we mapped this out for Terra Invicta, the, the game we're making, about kind of levels of modability mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a basic – modability would be so games have code and then they have config and config is is you know something that would be in a file you can open up in notepad mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's a lot of numbers it's it's some you know a, a, some a, a number and like you know uh, this kind of gun costs 20 space bucks uh, this kind of gun costs 30 space bucks. This kind of gun, you know, or does six damage or something like that. It's it's very simple constants that that 
um, values that govern a lot of the game. And that is usually pretty easy to open up um, because programmers, developers will use that to balance the game without having to do what's called recompiling it. When you compile the game, that means you have all the code and you make the executable file. And okay. with a, a big game, that can take hours. Um, so you, you don't want to mess with, with that. Um, you want, if you want to make a little change and test it, you want stuff in your config files. So many games have their config files open where you can just go in and where a modder can go in and change them. And you've got a different kind of game. You know, you're changing the balance or the length, um, that kind of thing. Um, there are also ways to insert or substitute art. It's kind of a next level of modding. Um, where, you know, if you want, uh, you know, XCOM has, doesn't have the rights to various, you know, properties, Yeah. but some modder may want to put, uh, stormtroopers in it. Um, so, and XCOM, you know, Varaxis can't do that. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting question whether modders can, um, because it is a property owned by somebody else, but modders do uh do yes. that and um you know or they can put in their own art and that kind of thing um and then probably the highest level of modding is recoding the game and um some you know or some games are built to where you can write sort of code that that hooks into existing code so you don't have to recompile the whole game. You just have to like compile your little chunk of new code. Um, and then, then the highest level is, is where you have a whole developer's kit where they let you, you know, redevelop, you know, redo the, almost all of the game. You can just basically do whatever you want. Like, right. um, I guess like some examples from wise, it would be stuff like when like Blizzard released the SDK for like, uh, I think it was like Warcraft three. I'm sure they did one for Starcraft as well. Mm -hmm. And that levels when you're basically just given like the keys of the kingdom, you can do whatever you want. And, right. Uh, for my history, like I've seen, of course, I grew up playing stuff like tower defense, uh, defense of the agents, you know, for people who are fans of Dota two, Dota originally started out as a mod mm -hmm. and, we even go further back with something like the conversion mod of like They Hunger for Half Life, or even stuff like Team Fortress and Counter Strike. Mm -hmm. To get back to your original question, uh, XCOM, Enemy Unknown, and Enemy Within were moddable on none of those levels. Okay, um, and it was a fairly simple change that somebody figured out to the EXE, the main EXE of XCOM. Um, just a couple of bytes change, if I remember correctly, um, that allows for um, that kind of just simple config file changing. And that's where I started. Um, and then what we – to recode the game to do kind of the highest level of modding, again, we had to get sort of a uh, something that uh, – basically a decompiler um, and then – um, where you can look at the game code and it shows how it breaks down into hex. And that's just some tool somebody made and threw out into the world to let you look at what's called Unreal Script, which was the, the code that a lot of XCOM was developed in. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and for, for us, it, it, was, it was interesting because, you know that scene in The Matrix um, 
where um, the the character uh, who turned out to be the traitor to the mm-hmm. um, so all the the, the protagonists uh, was looking at the the monitor yeah. and he says there's you know and there's all just this green code falling and he says there's a blonde there's a redhead mm-hmm. it got to be like that where. <laughs> We would be looking at the hex, but we had we knew what these different little hex like this, you know. And by hex, I mean hexadecimal. So zero seven A B two three, or I mean something like two C O seven. I can tell you what that means. If it's if it's in the if it's not in the context of some other command, two C O seven means use the constant seven, um, and uh, it's so it became. Um, you know, you get in this this mode where where it it's understandable and it's not too far off from regular coding. Um, it's just a little slower, uh, and it was. I think you know we enjoyed the challenge of it. Um, we enjoyed the community um, because there weren't very many people who were doing this. Um, we we for whatever reason became the sort of the sole lead mod of XCOM. There were a few other. There were other mods out there, um, and um, they they were good stuff. But I mean, we just you know either the the user or the the developer went away, or um, sometimes we would <laughs> we'd find some skilled modders out there, and I'd I'd bring them on board because they could do some cool stuff that I wanted in 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 Long War. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's where it is now. You know, if you flash forward to XCOM two, they opened the gates completely and included an SDK. So, um, and I credit long war for them doing that. They saw the potential of mods in the system they've set up. So Mm -hmm. now, uh, one thing that I want to touch on regarding, uh, the idea or the modability of a video game because this is something mm-hmm. that we're seeing a lot of consumers kind of bring up, especially with independent titles today. Mm-hmm. Like one that I remember, did you ever play the game Battle Brothers, John? Battle Brothers. I have heard of it. I have not played it. All right. I think that one may be up your alley too because it's a brutal turn-based <laughs> strategy game too. But uh, the developers discussed, like, they were originally planning to implement modding, uh, modding tools for it, but they ran into issues of complexity with their own code. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people kind of jumped on them for uh, backing away or walking back from that. And I just want to uh, ask you, as someone who's done programming, obviously done a lot of modding over the last few years, mm-hmm. when it comes to games or being able to mod video games, is it something that is – I'm not sure how I would put this. Like being able to mod one game, does it allow you or give you a lot more easeability if you want to take your skills and go to a completely different engine or a completely different game? Or is that knowledge not exactly one-to-one or transferable? I mean I would say um, – well, a couple of points, but I think mm-hmm. I, I would say um, – it's it is it's like jumping from one programming language to another. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was trained in Pascal, which for you youngsters was a language that we <laughs> learned in the late eighties and early nineties. Um, and it it you know, and a lot, and now we're programming. I mean, I learned Unreal Script to work on 
the XComs, and and now we're programming our own game in uh, Unity Engine with C Sharp. Um, and you know, a lot of concepts are the same. I mean, a for loop is a for loop is a mm-hmm. is a for yeah. loop. There's just different syntax around it. Yes. Um, so you're you're learning you know different different flavors of the same language. Now, some of these newer languages, there are these new cool things they can do. Um, so I do what everybody else does and that's go on stack exchange and look up how to do them. Uh, (laughs) Um, but just that if you've got a grounding in programming, then you kind of know what questions to ask and you have a good sense of, of what is really hard to make a computer do and what's actually not, not too hard. Okay. All right. Um, Oh, and the other point I was going to say, and this is, this is, was, um, adding modability to a game beyond a certain point is more work. Mm -hmm. Um, having config files opened up to where people can change them. That's easy because you're using those config files as a developer. Um, but if it is adding, making the game so people can add code to it or opening up an SDK while still making sure you're protecting your intellectual property, that's harder. That costs time and money and work. And so if you're on a budget, you have to uh, do the kind of, um, you know, the risk reward of if we do this, if we open, if we put in the time to open this up, are we going to sell more copies of the game? Mm -hmm. Enough copies that this is a profitable venture. So, um, and that's, that is one of the things that, that when you are trying to develop for profit, you do have to think about. Yeah. And again, as you just said, it can be a lot more work without that much return. Right. Like, I'm sure, like, I guess what's very interesting, and I don't think you're probably the right person to ask this, but I'm curious about why the original XCOM didn't really have modability built into it. Because you would think that given that kind of canvas, that mm-hmm. people could do a lot with that as a foundation. Right. I would I would say it was – I mean they um, – if you – and this is not – I'm speculating a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I suspect, um, you know, it was for, for Axis a new mm-hmm. product line. And um, if you've seen Jake Solomon talk about the history of the development of XCOM yeah. – they had a couple of I don't know if they'd be false starts, but they you know they tried something, didn't work, went back to the drawing board, mm-hmm. um, and that that's fantastic that they were able to do that. But that is, you know, if you're developing on a tight budget, that's a luxury. Yes. Um, and I think I, I imagine by the time they found a formula uh, for the main gameplay that worked, they needed to focus all their energies on making, turning that into a good, complete game. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps they didn't know how successful it would be. Um, I mean, and I don't think anybody did. <laughs> yes. Because if you look, I mean, they restarted sort of the turn-based tactics genre. And now there's, yeah. now, I mean, you can't read any of the, you know, the, the main games media sites without seeing the phrase XCOM like, <laughs> um, in a headline, whether it's, um, you know, it's, whether it's the battle tech or phantom doctrine or, um, any of the other games coming. And, and I mean, it's a great genre. 
um, the the sort of forcing these decisions and 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 the risk reward weighing you have to do um, it's it's fantastic and it's full credit I mean to Firaxis yes. for taking the chance and then making this happen because um, mm-hmm. it really does make for sort of richer games um, uh, available you know across the across the industry yes um, and but I imagine back then since they were starting and they didn't know how successful it would be it, it you know, um, they focused all their efforts on just getting the game out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point, I would love to sit down and talk with Jake Solomon about XCOM's design. That's like a five-hour podcast yeah. right there. He's great. I mean, he is he is um, uh, <laughs> he's a character. I remember yeah. when I I got to go to Firaxis when we were um, starting up the the modding. Uh, on XCOM 2 and uh, you know that's kind of like for me a strategy gamer like me that's like going to Santa's workshop yeah and uh, I met Jake there and I showed Jake what hex editing looked like and (laughs) uh, he looked at me and said you've got like closets full of leather and chains or don't you (laughs) (laughs) Um, which I I don't not not there's anything wrong with that but um it's uh you know that that's kind of he's 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 a he's a force of nature um, yeah. but he's also really humble about the work he does um I mean he he knows I mean it's and I know this too I mean game development is is not you're never going to make the perfect game and no. it's just um you know just continually trying to tell good stories and and present interesting choices um, for your players and entertain them and that kind of thing. So yeah, and I gotta say, when it comes to XCOM, both XCOM and XCOM Two came really close to being perfect games for me. But that's a discussion way too big for this <laughs> podcast. But I do want to touch on a few things that you just said there. Sure. I have to say that I'm really happy that we're seeing the term XCOM like. Being yeah. like thrown around these days, and I gotta ask you, John, mm-hmm. did you ever think we would get a Mario v. Rabbids <laughs> XCOM game in our lives? <laughs> that was, um, you know, uh, when I was thinking of ways to add new bad guys to Long War <laughs> and, and or new guns, and that, I, I just, yeah, did not think like. <laughs> This is this is the Mario world or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But uh, have you had a chance to play it yet? I have not. Because uh, that is definitely a crazy game. Again, like I grew up, I played the original XCOM. I think I played the PlayStation 1 version. That was my first dip into it way mm-hmm. back then. So it definitely brought back some interesting childlike moments to see Mario and Luigi doing Overwatch when I play that game. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm a weird kind of gamer, I guess, because I, I, my library is not huge. Um, I, I find a game that I like and I play a ton of it. Um, and I, so I'm not much of a sampler. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a few games now that I, I need to spend time on. It's finally the library's getting bigger than, <laughs> than I have time for. Some of that now is that I'm making a game. So it's mm-hmm. like I sit down and I think, Oh, uh, I should go program instead of entertain myself, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but um, so it's it's 
my, you know, my, my games resume is, is might be a little smaller than some, um, I'm an old guy too now. So I don't, I don't games that require dexterity. I don't spend a lot of time with anymore because especially multiplayer ones, because there's going to be some kid in his twenties that can just wallop me every single time. So I'm assuming that you're not an active player of Fortnite then, like myself. No, no, I I've been wa- watching it because it's it's such a uh, what's the word I'm looking for a uh, just a just a force out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids now ask me to turn you know have turn on YouTube so they can see what it's like. <laughs> um, they're still more in the Minecraft age. Uh, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it's um, anyhow. Uh, yes, no, I, I have not. I have not played that. The last game like that I played was called Operation Flashpoint, no. um, which was a predecessor to Armed Assault, Arm A. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, and I played the heck out of that. That was in the early aughts. Um, and mm-hmm. I get, you know, I tell you what, I actually did. I ran like this black and white text website that i put up on comcast web space that had links to mods for that um (laughs) so that might have been my first true foray into modding um it was called johnny lump's militaria nice (laughs) all right i got uh one more random question then we'll get back to focusing on long war sure so Speaking about XCOM likes and whatnot, I gotta ask, are you excited about Phoenix Point that's coming out, I think, in 2019? I am. That is the, uh, uh, that's the, I, I actually ponied up on the fig for that one, um, mm-hmm. and which is that I hadn't done before. Um, and uh, I am, in, I'm, but I'm, I'm watching it both as a fan of the genre and also as watching what, you know, a successful development looks like uh but you know from fundraising and marketing perspectives um Mm -hmm. all that grown-up stuff you have to worry about when you're running a company (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, i I just remember one other game did you play a xenonauts by any chance um i have uh fiddled with it a little bit all right you haven't had a chance to play that one yet i need to sit down and try it at some point it's um uh it it they they really did try to um uh you know recreate the original so um and they it's it's i mean they're you know and and it's and and props to them for doing so um it is a um you know interesting story they're telling and they're they're working on the sequel as well their sequel as well so yeah a, a rich market for fans of the genre is out there. Yeah, and that's something that's surprising a lot of us easy, especially this decade. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. with that said, uh, let's. Um, I have a few more questions regarding Long War's design and kind of the history of it. And yeah. then we'll move forward into what happened with XCOM 2 and then wrap things up with what's going on with Pavonis now. Okay. I do want to correct a little bit on Xenonauts. It was sure. um, my partner, uh, Aminari, she spent a lot of time with it. So she's got – she was our main sort of read readout on that. All right. So cool. – 
All right, so when it comes to the Long War mod, again, it, it was, I think, do we consider this a partial or a full conversion for Enemy Unknown, Enemy Within? Oh, man. You know, I, those crazy definitions there. I've read I've read it can't be a full conversion unless it's a wholly different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, in terms of the... So yeah, I don't know the answer to that. What what an accurate answer to that question is. I mean we we told I mean we told the same story. Um, I mean it was the the same way to end the campaign and the same way to, um, um, you know to to same win conditions, similar lose conditions. I mean we changed them a little bit, but um, you know you were still playing largely the same game. We just filled out all the design space to give you more problems and more tools and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Somebody authoritative declared <laughs> it a partial conversion, but I've seen it called a full conversion too. We'll leave that to the people listening to argue yeah. amongst themselves. <laughs> but when it comes to the long war, uh, we, we've talked about the history, but for folks listening to us right now who haven't played it or know what it is, what exactly does the Long War mod change from the right. original XCOM? Well, um, you know, true to the name, we we made it the campaign a lot longer and added more uh, elements to make it more like a war um, and that the player is participating in. And so what that means is – because and. and you know, the, a typical campaign in the, the vanilla version, um, which is the term people use for the, you know, the unmodded version. Um, although now people say vanilla long war, um, <laughs> because people started modding it, you know, with our blessing. Um, but it's still anyway. Uh, so the original vanilla EU and EW, um, enemy unknown enemy within, um, you know, was about a 35 to 40 mission campaign. Um, and so you could play it in 30, 40 hours, I think. Um, and it was the sort of, um, arc, um, was, you know, you start out in really bad, you know, kind of bad shape. Um, and you lose lots of guys and, and you're, the campaign is most precarious at the beginning. Um, and then, if you survive, you start kind of powering up and, and researching the alien technology and, and then getting, you know, to where you have your kind of your super friends. Um, and some people have compared the vanilla XComs and the way you build, you know, you get six to eight characters and, and your soul, your main soldiers and build them up. And by the end of the campaign, they're superheroes who can do anything. And there is kind of a, a victory lap. Um, and we, I wanted to mess with that kind of balance curve, um, and sort of maintain a fairly consistent challenge throughout or more like, a you know, real conflicts where there are reversals, um, that you have to deal with. Um, one of my favorite board games is called Twilight Struggle, um, which is all in a cold war grand strategy kind of setting, but, one of the neatest things it does is the way the players interact with each other is throwing problems at one another. And I think that's, that is fun game design. And so, you know, you're up, you're down, 
you know, you might get ahead for a little while, but then the other side catches up. Um, so we wanted to do that uh, and sort of maintain the difficulty all the way to the end. Um, we couldn't make the last mission that all that hard because, one, it was difficult to mod that particular mission because it was very scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, right up until then, um, you know, we, we, we wanted to keep it, keep it challenging. Uh, all the way through. And even the the other nice thing about making a longer, you know, 110, 120 mission campaign or more is, um, well, I'm going to use a sports metaphor, um, football, American football for your European, your overseas listeners. Um, American football has a 16 game season and then three or four games in the postseason. So every single game you have to is is super important and can turn on one or two things, which means your whole season can turn on one or two things. Um, and that, you know a missed field goal means whether you make the playoffs or not. And that's interesting. And that's there's nothing wrong with that as as entertainment, as a game, as a sport. I think what we did with XCOM, um, just because we liked it so much, is made it more like baseball which is 162 game season. Um, I think that's still what the number is. And um, where you, you're going to lose some, you know, you're going to, you're going to win. You know, you have to win more than you lose. Um, But it's baseball is much more about performance over time. And with a long campaign, if as long as we can keep it engaging, that provides a different kind of challenge to the player. You know, you're going to throw all kinds of different problems at them. Um, and if they can consistently do well against them, you know, then you start winning and you get the, the, you know, the, the internal rewards of the story and that sort of thing. So I hope that distinction makes sense. Um, you know, it goes from this kind of all or nothing, every single mission, which is what EW, EU and EW were to this. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have missions. You have to, you're going to lose some missions. We are going to throw things at you that you are not supposed to go after. And the best <laughs> choice is to flee. Um, mm-hmm. And some players bounced off that. They, they expect games to give them every single individual problem the game throws at you. They expect you to have provided a solution. Um, and which is a little different from, there are these kind of macro solutions um, that you yes. pro- you provide, but this particular instance, you know, you may be in a bad situation. You're going to have to take some losses, and so the test becomes how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, if we wanted to discuss XCOM's design, like from a macro micro standpoint, mm-hmm. we'll probably be here for like another two to three <laughs> hours. Easily. Yeah, I just you know I was trying to. Yeah. Give the sort of general philosophy as long war set against what the what it looks like the philosophy of EU and EW was. Yeah, and and again, I got to say this is not precisely what I set out to do. This just sort of emerged as we were developing it. Um, I mean, I did you know I wanted it to be longer and you know kind of more problems and more tools and that sort of thing. But the sort of the idea of of testing players by throwing reversals at them kind of emerged as we were developing. Um, and then as I looked back and found out the kind of things, you know, 
the, the kind of story it turns out I told and what I liked about it. So it was kind of discovering my own preferences and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that may and, go back to me being an 80s and 90s gamer where we didn't have tutorials or anything. We had awesome printed, you know, rule or um, um, instruction manuals. Um, and But, you know, there weren't very – there wasn't much for in-game tutorials. You just – sometimes you learned by failing and that was it. Oh, yes. And with the Long War mod – and kind of expanding on the basic systems from EW and EU. Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, what was like, like the most challenge? I guess what was more challenging with coming up with a long war mod was it implementing or programming the game, or sitting down trying to kind of build this design as mm-hmm. you went along? Because as you said a few minutes ago, uh, you and your team, you didn't have like a grand plan for what Long War, Long War was supposed to be. It kind of was developed while you were building it. Right. Uh, it really was, I mean, it, it really, you know, was technical and design were kind of woven together, um, which is not, you know, when you're starting a game from scratch, you've kind of got the, you know, just about anything is possible with some of these engines now. Um, whereas we started with very strict constraints that we gradually widened, um, you know, or, or were able to remove, I guess. Um, so something like I would say, you know, four interceptors per continent isn't enough because we want lots of air battles going on like the original XCOM. And so, all right, how do we add more interceptors? Well, the big challenge there was actually the user, the UI, the user interface. Um, so another one of the key guys on our team who was a German fella uh, goes by X marks the spot. Um, we just call him X or uh, Alexander is real name. He um, figured out how, you know, uh, working with Rachel, he figured out how to, to modify the UI code, which was in a totally different language um, and a totally different mechanism of doing, you know, doing it. And so there we're able to present the player with, you know, more interceptors to choose from. So, again, they can, you know, take damage but still have some backups and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know. I would say I'd like this and then they'd go figure out what they could do and they'd come back and say, well, here's what we can do. You can have six interceptors per continent instead of four. And I said, great, I will go with that. And then I, you know, started to design around that. Or um, I'd say, can we have grenades miss? Because that was one of the things in, in, in enemy unknown and enemy within and, um, you know, grenades never missed and they always did the same amount of damage. Um, so their role then was essentially this, you know, this trump card you could throw once or twice permission to solve a problem with 100% certainty. Mm-hmm. That was the original design. And that's fine. But I wanted to make that into a problem. Um, so because we wanted, you know, one thing we wanted – Give the character, give the player more choices in equipping. So we gave them more equipment slots, and then, but well, we don't want to make grenades too strong. So, can we make grenades miss? And they looked into that and they said, "I don't think we can." 
But we can vary up grenade damage, and we can have the game detect. Um, I hope I'm not mixing up. I maybe I hope I'm not mixing up long war and long war two on this part. <laughs> so forgive me. We can have it detect how far you know a grenade is an area of effect, right? So we can reduce damage based on how far you are from where it lands. And I said, you know what? That kind of fulfills what we're going for, which is making grenades less reliable and a little bit more realistic, you know, where mm -hmm. they don't just automatically solve a problem. They're a way, you know, they're one tool that may solve certain kinds of problems. Um, and so I'd go with that. Or one day, you know, Amineri would come in and she'd say, hey, I think I figured out how to add more weapons. And then, or, hey, I think I figured out how we can add a menu to the start screen and let people pick from a big list of um, potential bonuses that they can start the campaign with. Um, and that, and I said, great, I can run with those. So, you know, we added more weapons and we added, and then I, you know, balanced, configed and balanced them all, or we added all, you know, you pick your starting country and you get all these different, you know, you have this choice of bonuses you get. Um, so, you know, it was just sort of an ongoing discussion of what we wanted in there and whether we could do it. And there was, as I said earlier, there were certain things we never solved, like adding new models, um, 3D models, which, which was a shame because we had some cool ideas there. And we had some, some modders ready to go and contribute stuff. Um, but there just wasn't a way we figured out how to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned, of course, of rebalancing the grenades mm -hmm. in terms of the Long War. Yeah. Now, one of the more interesting aspects behind Long War design is, of course, completely redoing the class system that Firaxis implemented oh, in yeah. EW and EU. And for people listening to us who don't know what we're talking about, unlike the original XCOM where the various squaddies were just basically defined by where their stats were. Uh, Varaxis introduced the idea of the various classes. Right. And the classes would dictate, of course, not only their stats, but what their possible uh, outfitting or their skills could be used during the game. Right. Now, with Long War, of course, uh, your team took things a whole lot <laughs> further than that in terms of balance and design. Right. Right. We went from four base classes to eight, and then they added mechs and EW, and we made eight <laughs> mech classes, one to correspond with each of the baseline human classes. And then we had um, uh, – and then you had the psi overlay, so you could make characters psi. And when we added the officer kind of overlay, you could make some characters, you know. And, yeah, the idea – I mean – some of that was me wanting, again, adding more choices, more tools to your toolbox. Um, some of it was a little more military realism. Um, it does – I, I – uh, in a previous – in a previous iteration of me, I used to be a military – a reporter on national security uh, matters. And um, I, uh, you know, wanted to get a little more military accuracy in there and – you know, the example is like the heavy um, in XCOM who has both a, a machine gun and a rocket launcher. And in any real military, those are two separate jobs. 
um, mm-hmm. because the gear is heavy and it's different kinds of training and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, so I said, well, let's break those. Let's have a machine gun specialist and a rocket launcher specialist. Um, and then, um, you know, um, then I thought, why don't we have a rifleman? That is the basic, uh, combat unit is a dude with a rifle and the four base classes in, in, um, in XCOM, you know, it was a sniper, the heavy, the, uh, support, and then the assault who was the shotgun guy who comes in, um, and fights in close quarters. And so rifles were kind of an afterthought and you kind of gave them to people that you didn't have really a more special weapon for. I didn't want to do that. So we added the infantry class. Um, and then we thought, well, let's get, you know, we could do a grenade specialist and, and have the engineer and then have, um, uh, kind of a scout, you know, a reconnaissance guy. And we added, we added, you know, we were able to add with some new perks. We were able to move around the abilities and that kind of thing. So, and boy, that's the stuff, um, in terms of community building, I got to say that just, uh, created so much interest and feedback, um, was different character builds and giving lot players, lots of options on those. Um, and really, I mean, one of the real joys for me through all of this has been able to go on either our own website or our Nexus site or Reddit, you know, where, um, the, the XCOM Reddit page has always been good to us. Um, and just watch read these sort of strategic debates about how to play. Um, and for me, that's, that's the kind of, you know, that's praise to me, um, that people get that engaged with the decision sets and, and thinking about how to play, um, and, and discussing it, um, often in a, in a very, you know, high level adult manner, um, really good debates, um, that didn't break down like so much stuff on the internet does. Um, so, uh, that was, that was really neat to see for, for both the long wars. Mm-hmm. And it was, and more often than not, it was the, the class, the character classes and the perk sets that always, uh, uh you know, caused those. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And especially with a game like XCOM, like we said earlier, one of the joys of a game like this, and I'm sure this kind of what was the original inspiration for The Long War, is giving the player all these various tools and the fact that the game, the campaign is not a linear set of missions. Mm-hmm. As anyone who's played XCOM knows, it's not a game of you do 30 missions, then you have the finale, game over, you win. Right. It It is variable based, of course, on what you're doing, how your game is being played out, and so on and so forth. And when you have that very, I guess, murky middle or Mm -hmm. mid-game, it really opens things up for a lot of variants in terms of what you can do and how things plan out. And that's one of the things we try to do with both Long Wars is really expand that. Um, I think... In, in the, the vanilla versions of, of the XCOMs, um, the things that were thrown your way, they weren't scripted. Um, in some cases they were, but, but in most cases it's more like the game is drawing from a deck to give you a press problem, a deck of, you know, a deck of problems. Here's, here's today's problem. Um, what we did was give the bad guys their own game to play. 
mm-hmm. and it wasn't super complicated and, and, um, you know, um, but, and you know, there's, you know, there's a little bit of randomization to make them behave in different ways. Um, but you know, we gave them, um, you know, in, in, in long war, the original long war, we, we had this, we gave them two variables, which was how many resources they had and how worried they were about XCOM. And, um, you know, the player influenced the human player influenced those by, if you blow up all their resource gathering operations, they don't have many resources. If you, and then they get very worried about XCOM. Um, if XCOM doesn't do much, say everybody's beat up and you don't have any planes that can fly, then they become less worried about XCOM and then they turn back and focus more resources on, um, on either building up their resources or accomplishing their campaign objectives, um, which was taking over all the countries in the world. So, um, and then in Long War II, we kind of did something similar where we gave the advent um, a certain number of armies, essentially. We called them legions. And they had to move them around in response to XCOM's activities. And that made XCOM had to act like a, you know, a true guerrilla force, excuse me, which is look where they are weakest and hit there. And then the aid, the advent would move all their resources there and they left them weak somewhere else and you go hit them somewhere else. Um, so again, it was kind of give them a game to play and then let the player learn the human player learn that, try to figure that out so they can play kind of higher level strategy as well as, um, you know, trying to win on the battle in the battlefield as well. Mm-hmm. And, one thing that I will say that regarding the original XCOM design, as you just said, regarding the enemies, I guess, quote-unquote, deck of options, mm-hmm. one thing that I always found frustrating playing the original, the vanilla version, was the fact that you always had to start with getting, like, the same three kinds of missions to go on. Like, it was, it seemed very fixed in that regard. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something that I'm sure everyone is well aware of was uh, changed with XCOM 2 structure mm. in terms of making things more freeform. And again, if it came to game design, we could sit here and try yeah. to for so much. But it is a very interesting about, and we'll probably move on and talk about XCOM 2 and what happened with Pavonis probably in the next few minutes. Okay. But uh, I guess to wrap things up, at least for this section, are there any other interesting aspects of designing Long War that we didn't touch on that you'd like to bring up now? I'm sure I'm forgetting some. I guess I, I you know, the one thing I don't want to uh, underemphasize uh, how great the community was um, in in their support of us, and that, in, you know, um, and I'm not just talking about the PayPal we threw up, um, but also in terms of giving us feedback. Uh, because there were, um, points where, you know, you spend, I mean, when you're making a game, it's, it's sort of easy to lose perspective on certain parts of it. Um, because you know, a certain system so well, whereas you get players and they just see the product and approach it in a Mm -hmm. different way. So they gave some great feedback that, um, you know, in, in some cases I'll, 
you know, I, I will sell my own ideas and say, yep, we, you know, we, Alminary and, and X and I and the others all came up with this and this is cool and we did this. In other places it was, I can point to it and say, you know what, that came from the community. Um, either that specific idea or the feedback that led us to this. Um, and so it really was a, a cool collaboration um, making making the original uh, and they, they, you know, it was as much their mod as it was ours. Um, and, and, and that was, that was pretty neat to happen. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, there's probably so much more we could talk about in yeah. terms of design limitation. With that said, as we talked about earlier, that after Long War was finished, you and your team were about ready to, you know, hang things up and go on to do something else. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, 2K uh, decided to show up. And, of course, as we now know, uh, you and your team were contracted to work on XCOM 2. And I'm sure there are NDAs and such, but right. what, I guess, what kind of happened following, like, the long war and then when 2k got in touch sure uh so we were still this was oh i hope i got the year right 2015 Mm -hmm. we were still kind of doing some final polishing on long war um i think we knew we were we were we were done and we were talking about you know trying to put together a plan for our own game and doing a kickstarter and seeing if we could raise enough money to do it about that time um, and I was also wrapping up grad school and 2k, which is for Axis's parent company, uh, called and said, you want to sign an NDA? And we said, okay. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, they told us, Hey, we're doing XCOM 2. We want modding to be a part of it. Are you guys interested in, um, uh, doing some, some mods for it, including some that would be available on the day we release. And, um, we said, you're going to pay us. And they said, sure. <laughs> so, um, uh, i and I, and one artist, they did want us to keep our initial team small. This was all for security, um, stuff. So there were only three of us that worked on, um, uh, the first set of mods, um, and um the release day stuff and uh the uh, um so we formed i mean we we said you know what okay we're gonna have to do this legit so we're gonna we formed an llc and we we worked up a contract um or they worked up a contract and and um so we were able to make uh some release day mods which was a a a new kind of gun and a new bad guy, um, and a, um, uh, a a sort of the officers overlay where you can make, you know, some of your characters officers, uh, which give them special abilities that help the whole group. Um, and that was when I got to go to Firaxis and, and meet the team and, um, you know, the, the, meet Jake and and some of the others. And we also kind of had an open line to them. So we gave them, we started working on the modding tools and we gave them feedback on what those tools needed and, um, as well. Um, so, you know, we were kind of test driving those. Um, and so, and then they, you know, they announced it, um, 
the game was coming and um, then we announced the mods um, shortly before the game was released and we had them up there on release day, uh, which was cool. Um, and uh, I think it really emphasized they were open to modding this game and they wanted to build a mod community from the start. They had us as kind of the, you know, the first wave so people could take apart our mods and see, all right, this is how you do these things. Um, after that, um, you know, they were pleased with the response to our work and they were happy we got our stuff in on time. Uh, so we extended our contract to make some more mods and then Long War II, kind of full overhaul, um, and which we did. Um, we did have to kind of, you know, we were able to make the team bigger after that and bring on some of the old crew um, uh, from the original Long War, the ones that were still around, had time to work on it and that kind of thing. Um, for Aminari and I, it kind of became full-time work, um, and um, especially as I finished my, my graduate degree the end of 2015. Um, and so, and then everyone else, I mean, they had day jobs and, uh, you know, helped out as kind of in the evenings for them or something like that. Um, so we, we, uh, were able to, um, make more stuff, expand the team, uh, and, and get long war two out, um, within, I think it was about a year after the release of, of XCOM two. I think it was about that, yeah. Yeah. And I guess here's a question for you, John. Regarding working on Long War versus Long War 2, mm -hmm. obviously with XCOM 2, Firaxis completely redesigned the game in terms of the structure, mechanics, and the systems. Mm -hmm. When you and your team sat down to work on Long War 2, how did you approach things from a design standpoint? As in, like, what are we going to do to make this Long War Two, essentially. Right. We did start a little more um, in the mind of, all right, we're going to design first and figure out technical as we go, as opposed to technical dictating design as much as it went the other way on the original Long War. Um, you know, we had some – I mean, we played, you know, vanilla um, even before it was released and they were still debugging and that kind of thing. Um and, um, you know, we said, okay, how are we going to, what's the long war formula and how are we going to apply it here? Um, and, you know, sort of longer and, 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 you know, uh, a longer campaign, as we talked about making problems out of sure things, um, and then letting the player kind of earn back the sure thing, um, was part of it. And we also, you know, up at the story level, I mean, we wanted to make, to change, as I mentioned, um, Advent, give them their own set of problems to solve and, um, let the, let the sort of campaign emerge around the interaction of the player's actions and Advent's own limitations in the game they were playing. Um, you know, and, and, and give more of a, a direct kind of use that to give more of a direct kind of guerrilla war feel, um, mm -hmm. hit them where they're weak, that sort of thing. Um, 
we added some stuff where you had to manage, you know, resources on the geoscape. These were your, your local resistance cells. Um, we added lots more bad guys. Um, we had lots more tool weapons and tools and gear. I mean, all this, you know, we added more classes, all this stuff we did. Cause we know, you know, again, bigger toolbox, as I keep saying, bigger set of problems. Um, cause we think, you know, that's part of the formula. That's, that's what people like. Yeah. Um, and it, it ultimately leads to a, a pretty rich experience. So, mm-hmm. Now, here's an uh, interesting question for you regarding both Long War and Long War II. Mm-hmm. As you just said, in term, one of the major appeals of both mods and, and XCOM in general is that the toolbox of possible options both for the player and for the enemy. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, in your opinion, is there... I guess a limit in terms of how much you can reasonably add before it becomes just too unmanageable <laughs> right. either for the player or for the enemy. I mean, I think well, let me put it this way. Going too far for us would have been adding something like an M16 and the AK47. Mm-hmm. Two weapons that have roughly the same job. Um so instead we just had an assault rifle and then we had a carbine, um, and we had the submachine gun, and there were clear differences to what you use those for. Um, so I think as long as there are meaningful distinctions in these choices, and they don't just become aesthetic, mm-hmm. uh, or you know. Um, then you're still making a game. I mean, and look, there are mods out there for XCOM 2 where people have all kinds of real-world rifles and guns because yeah. some people like that. They want to see that. They want to see there are enough of, you know, a, a military tech uh, aficionado that they like that, even if, you know, in gameplay terms, there isn't really a whole lot of distinction. So for us, the dividing line is, is there a gameplay distinction here um, that is significant enough um, that it becomes a real choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, just for my clarification for people listening, is the Long War Two mod uh, support or compatible with War of the Chosen? Which, of course, for people listening, that is the latest expansion. Right, it is to. not, I'm afraid. Um, it is something um, we were prepared to do, um, mm-hmm. but we were not able to reach an agreement Mm-hmm. Uh, with 2K to make that happen, and okay. this is our livelihood now, so we can't um, donate hours like we did back in the EU EW days. Um, I've got <laughs> I got to put food on the table, so mm-hmm. um, the um, you know I mean it's our our relationship with 2K was cordial. I don't I don't want to suggest there was any kind of problem there or anything like that. It just um, they. Mm-hmm. They have stuff they wanted to do, and and we were in position um, to, you know, we were we were prepared to do that. We were also working on uh, getting our own game underway, Terra Invicta. So, and it has mm-hmm. turned out we are working on our own game, Terra Invicta. Mm-hmm. And we will certainly be talking about that in the next few minutes and wrapping things up with that talk. Sure. But uh, to end this section and kind of segue into that, I have uh, two more questions for you. Uh, the first one is, and I think this will probably be a good segue as well, but 
in terms now obviously over the last five six years you've had a chance to really grow in terms of programming and designing when it comes to this kind of grand strategy genre Mm -hmm. i guess are there any major or interesting takeaways as someone who again this was originally just started out as a simple mod and soon turned to this massive scale in terms of completely rebalancing somebody else's design like were there any big takeaways from a design standpoint as you learn and grew with from Long War to Long War Two, and of course Terra Invicta? Yeah, um, you know, I, I mean, I'll go back and say, I mean, we were we were surprised at the the level of interest in uh, the original Long War. We didn't think. You know, I mean, we quickly got this rep as a hardcore mod, um, which we did try to address in Long War II and, and have, you know, what I, you know, some people use the term casual, I'll say, uh, you know, or cinematic experience <laughs> is another way to put it. Um, you know, a more somebody who wanted to experience all the content we created, but not have to master 90 little fine points of the game, <laughs> you know, um, that said... There is a good sized market for people who really want that kind of in depth, like tough choices, and they want to be able to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's one of the big takeaways for me um, is that there is um, when you know you can lose, um, mm-hmm. and not just by making horrible mistakes, but when you can play okay but not hit everything and still lose when you finally do win wow that is so much (laughs) more satisfying you know um so i think there is there is something for kind of really you know earned wins um and and people who want to play that way i mean it's it's long wars got more than three hundred thousand downloads um and uh it's, you know, which is, I mean, it's a decent size, decent chunk of people who actually played the original, um, play, you know, who bought the, the, the vanilla version. Um, if, if steam spy data is to be believed. Um, and, um, so that was what I learned is that there are, there, there are other players who like to play like I do, you know, with, with, with serious consequences and and i'm not ragging on people who like to play differently i mean it's just there's there's um i mean this is such there's so much space for fun and stories and strategy and all that great stuff in video games um and i think we found a pretty good group you know pretty sizable group that wants um wants to know they can lose Mm -hmm. and talking about you know, all the work and how there is such that space. This is the, this gives me the perfect question kind of to play devil's advocate with you. Yeah. And this will be our segue into talking about Terra Invicta. Okay. As we just said, uh, you and your team have spent a very long time, no pun intended, on (laughs) Long War and Long War 2. Yeah. And of course, all this was done for a game that has already been developed, it already is, you know, fully fleshed out, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there are people wondering this, but in your opinion, I guess, 
what kept you working on uh, the Long War mods as opposed – and obviously with the second one you got paid for. Right. But <laughs> in terms of the original one, what kept you motivated to work on somebody else's game versus just taking that information and that knowledge and saying, let's just make our own game using what we now know? Right. Um Different things, um, and, and it was different things at different points in development. Um, at the start, it was, I just want to play this game some more. Mm-hmm. I don't want to replay it because I think I know how to beat it now. Um, I just want to just keep, you know, just play it in a more expansive, longer way. And then it was, and then for a while there, it was, uh, the, some of it was the technical challenge, like, Okay, we are hex editing. Let's see what this baby can do. <laughs> um, you know, and that's just kind of wonky hobbyist stuff. Um, but it was cool when we like, wow, hey, there is a new weapon on the screen. You know, we made this thing do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, tor- and then it got to be like, um, you know, we built up an audience that um, it was incredibly fun to interact with and put out a product for. Um, and so we, we stayed with it, um, you know, uh, until we, we got in everything we thought we could do and, 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 and get the whole story and, uh, that we wanted to tell. So, um, and, and also, I mean, that's the thing about modding. You are starting with somebody else's product and there are a lot of problems already solved for you. Um, things in Terra Invicta we've had to, um, you know, reinvent how to do, um, mm-hmm. in Unity and C Sharp and that kind of thing. So, um, it, you know, there, there's, there's sort of the, the architecture is already there. Um, a lot of these, like, in long, I mean, in long war, there's a lot of really expensive art assets already there, and we can just kind of change how they work. Yeah. Um, which you know, it's it's no small technical feat, but um, a full development cycle is there's so many more things you have to be do and be responsible for. Uh, oh yeah. So, which we are now learning. So I, I think <laughs> that was it. I mean, over time, we're like, you know, hey, you know, we, maybe we've got something here. We can we can actually make a real product to sell um not with xcoms because that's not our ip but um on our own so and we've we slowly talked ourselves into forming our own you know company to, to make our own original game um and we also uh and sorry if i'm doing your segue for you um <laughs> we we also kind of late late in the long war ii cycle we had um some fans who were uh, also had the financial means to do so, uh, came on as investors. Um, so that allowed us to hire some people and really get underway on Terra Invicta. Perfect. And like you just said, John, that's our perfect segue into our <laughs> final section for today. And I just want to say it's been a pleasure hanging out with you this afternoon and if you or the rest of the team have time coming up, probably once you have a big announcement, it'll be great to catch up sure. and talk more in depth about Terra Invicta. You bet. 
So, uh, with that said, then, for you folks listening, for our final section for our cast today, we're going to talk a little bit about what Terra Invicta is. Now, please keep in mind, for those of you listening to this, either on the release day or in the coming months, we are recording this right now at the beginning of August of 2018, so we won't be able to go into, you know, super detail about what the game is, obviously. But we're going to talk a little bit more about what you guys have been doing Mm -hmm. and hopefully what's coming in the later months. Sure. To start things off then, for the people listening, what is Terra Invicta? So Terra Invicta is uh, Pavonis' first original title um, that we are currently developing. And it is uh, our our elevator pitch, I guess, it is a grand strategy alien invasion game. So we've changed genres. We are not. We are still in the broader strategy genre that XCOM is, um, and we're still telling an alien invasion story. It's a different one, of course, but we are in the grand strategy realm, which is more like uh, paradox games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're possibly in sort of in the four X like Civ. Um, or the old Master of Orion, that sort of thing. We wanted to tell the, the sort of a, a, a kind of top-down story of an alien invasion in modern times. Mm. What would so, it be like, you know? So does that mean then that uh, there will not be a tactical layer like in XCOM or in Long War? Um, we do have a tactical layer, but it's going to be with spaceships. Oh, okay. Um, instead of little individual troopers doing stuff. Um, and it's just the scope is too grand um, <laughs> to kind of simulate squad level combat. Um, we, you know, we, we're thinking about armies and fleets and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah. I just want to say that I do like the, uh, the general idea that your team went from this going from a strategy game that's immensely complicated to even go into something even grander. Like, you didn't decide, oh, let's just make a match three game as our first uh, big title. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the angle I, I mean, I play lots of Civ and I play lots of, I played 4X games and, and um, you know, and, and played Paradox games like uh, Victoria and Stellaris. Um, so that is as much my gaming DNA, um, than, and as XCOM is. Um, so I, I, I mean, it was natural for us. I think we had been working on XCOM for all close to five years, four and a half, five years. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, we wanted to, and, and I had, I mean, even when I had no notion that I would do this in a professional capacity, I had always wanted to do this kind of game. Um, this the Terra Invicta is um, sort of, and and I can get into different parts of it and explain the the parts I was excited about. But I, I'd had this kind of general map of a game like this in my head for for a couple of decades now, um, <laughs> and um, so now I get to make it, which is awesome. <laughs> um, and um, the uh, so, and you know, grand, I mean, it's grand strategy. It's, it is this sort of top down management. I mean, if you want to put it in terms of XCOM, you know, think what the deep voice council chairman's job must be like. <laughs> um, and you know, and it's not just saying ominous things to the player, but, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to keep all these countries on board, 
um, and what's happening on Earth, um, in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in Earth nations when we're confronted with this idea of an alien invader. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of more broadly, I mean, the, the story of Terra Invicta, it, it starts in the modern day, um, and we've got the Earth and all the countries on the Earth, and we have um, the solar system, and um, I think what is I got I'd have to look up the low number is like every body in the solar system that's 150 kilometers wide or or larger um, out to um, 50 astronomical units um, we've got in there right now. Um, hopefully we we won't decide that's too much because it's a lot of things, um, but <laughs> um, and you know, the, the alien invaders are, are, um, in structured, engineered in such a way that, you know, they don't want to just drop a big rock on earth. Um, they have their own motivations and story, which the player will discover, um, that involves them, um, having to, uh, sort of grow stronger in time as they try to, um, infiltrate earth as well as, and eventually, you know, if necessary invade, whereas the player is the leader of, uh, this kind of transnational organization that, um, sees the aliens as a threat and is trying to marshal earth's resources to oppose them. Now there are other humans that, um, have different views about the aliens and what should be done about them. And they are much the play as much the player's antagonists as the aliens are. Mm-hmm. So the player will, um, uh, you know, you're not playing as a country, you're playing as, as sort of a group formed around an ideology and you have to bring countries into your fold to support you, give you resources, um, as so you can, uh, build up, um, infrastructure on earth and in space, uh, to be able to fight the aliens before, they take over. So that's the longer pitch. Um, <laughs> there, and I'm, we're, uh, it's again, it's, it's, it plays like a paradox game where you have a clock that you run, you pause, make decisions, direct your assets around. Um, and then time picks up again until the next time you need to do something. So mm-hmm. there's research tree. There's, there's, um, uh, you know, um, ways that you, you deal with countries, ways you deal with these other factions. Um, and, um, and, and I think I mentioned the spaceship battles. So that's, um, that's, that's the quick pitch, I guess. Um, anything I can, any points I can hit detail on there? Sure. I guess one thing, are there any aspects from XCOM or XCOM 2 that are kind of inferring on the design of Terra Invicta or are you trying to build this as almost like entirely an original concept from Pavonis? Uh, we, Oh, absolutely. We're trying to be original here. We want to tell our own story. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't, um, intend or want to use anything, you know, that's even close to somebody else's IP. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, up at the macro level, yes, it's an alien invasion game. Um, there is, you know, a way there is sort of, um, there are ways that, you know, if you want to compare it, um, there are things that XCOM does 
that you, the player, can sort of order, but you don't go play out the little tactical battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but there may be, um, you know, and there is, there are resources you gather. It's, um, uh, you know how these games, you have that big bar of resources across the top. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have money and one of the ones we have is influence and that's your ability to do political things on earth for the most part. Um, and we've got another one called ops, um, which is operations. And that is your ability to direct, you know, little combat units around the world to um, uh, either attack other humans, you know, your human opponents or investigate or attack alien assets and that kind of thing. Um, So that's, you know, that's that's where the nod is, I guess, to what XCOM does. The the story of XCOM is something like that. I mean, we put it in there because we think that would be part of the story anyway. Um, you know, of, of figuring this stuff out. So, um, it's, and you know, you, you would, you gain the ops resource by, um, controlling organizations around the world. Like if you control the CIA, you get a lot of ops or control the U S special forces and that kind of thing. So that's getting into some wonky details of how to play, but, but that's, that's, that's my attempt to answer your question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And again, with each one of these topics, we could spend who knows how long discussing them. And I know we are approaching about an hour and a half into our recording right now, so mm-hmm. I'm sure you have to get going in a few minutes. And again, there's still a lot of time, especially with developing Terra Invicta. Mm-hmm. So I guess with that question, though, for people listening, mm-hmm. how far along is development on the game right now, or can you give any estimates? Mm, okay. Well, I mean, we've got lots of major systems stood up. Um, we still have a few more to finish. Um, and then it's – at that point, then it's sort of a, a, a version with all the features we want. And then we start adding more content and testing, you know, and making the AI smarter and that sort of thing. So I guess the best thing to say, we've got a big chunk done. We have a big chunk left to do. <laughs> um, and some of it is sort of determined by resources. Um, we will um, uh, and, and we're still sort of deciding what path we want to go, whether we want to go um, to something like Kickstarter or FIG. Um, and be partially, uh, you know, funded by our, our eventual audience, um, or seek publisher support, um, Mm. to, cause, and, and publishers can do some cool things that are challenging for a small startup like ours. Um, you know, things like translations and, and marketing help and that sort of thing. Um, so that remains to be seen. Uh, we hope to kind of settle that in the next few months. Um, and then, you know, at that point, then we know, then for example, we can talk a lot more about the game because some of the things, you know, I've got to kind of not go into great detail on because if a publisher picks this up, they want to take over, um, sort of reveals. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we don't want to preempt their preferences because they presumably know how to sell games pretty well. Mm-hmm. And that could be a podcast in of itself. We could talk about at some point about making that transition from modder to game company owner and sort of the logistics and challenges that go with that change. It has been educational. Um, yes. And it is, I mean, um, you know, I mean, 
making sure we we stay funded and keep everybody working and employed and everything is is you know my biggest worry day to day mm-hmm. just because that's the nature of running a business um mm. it's um but um if if we can get a hit then then he, you know and bring over a lot of our XCOM fans um mm-hmm. Uh, to also buy our game, I wouldn't want to suggest we're stealing market share from the uh, the the games that uh, gave us life originally. Um, uh, but uh, you know, then um, you know, then we get to keep doing this, and this is fun. This is really challenging, interesting work, and I want to keep doing it. Um, we do have ideas uh, for down the road doing uh, a tactical based game. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll say, honestly, I'll also say one reason, another reason why, you know, and, and we, we kind of worked up a simple design for what one would be, but so I, I know how I do it if I ever do a tactical game. Um, and, uh, but it is, it's actually kind of more expensive than what we're doing is another thing you have to remember. Um, there's just, uh, it, it needs a whole different level of art assets. Um, and this gets down into, you know, the nitty gritty, like you were talking about, um, Mm -hmm. but it is, uh, but that is one thing that, that, you know, played into all our decisions. Um, so this is, you know, we are, we're still learning. Um, we've got some professionals on board now on the team who have worked on, on haven't, you know, not just modders, but, but have worked on, on released, uh, some even, uh, AAA titles. So, um, you know, we feel good about our team. We feel good about the game we're making and about the uh, games we hope to make in the future. Great. And I guess to tie this discussion full circle, I got to ask, will Terra Victor have modding tools built into it? <laughs> um, we are certainly um, uh, know our roots and we want the game to be uh, moddable. And we have put a great deal of game data into config files. Um, so it will be moddable to the degree, uh, the exact degree, um, you know, we do have to see, um, and it, it is the, there is this, like, there's that line that I mentioned earlier in this interview, there's the point where you, you just don't restrict players from changing the things that you set yourself up to change. And then there's the other step of where you have to invest specific resources into making the game more moddable. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is something, you know, we have to uh, keep an eye on and see if it's within budget and, and that sort of thing. So, um, but our intent is to, uh, you know, make the game as open and interesting as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I guess one final question, then we'll begin to wrap things up for today. For people listening to us right now, do you have any tentative timeline for when there'll be more news on Terra Invicta? Ah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm other than, I mean, I'm writing up some dev diary stuff for our, on our website, pavonisinteractive.com. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, putting things out as I'm confident they're in the, you know, they're, that's what the design is going to generally look like. Um, and I have time to write them up. Um, so, um, in terms of sort of big news, the things you're after, you might be after like a release date or something. I, I don't have a, a good sense of that yet where I could, uh, anything I would throw out would potentially be wrong. So, um, better not to throw anything out. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I think with that, we'll, I think it's time to wrap things up because I think both of us have been holding back some of our questions because this could go on for <laughs> so much longer. It could be a long uh, podcast. Uh, sure. No pun intended there. But again, John, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you this afternoon and definitely the best of luck to you and the rest of the team at Pavonis for what's coming in the com- in the future months. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. It was a, it was a real pleasure to talk to you and, and carry on about uh, what I've been doing the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. And like I said, if you have time in the coming weeks or months as more gets revealed about Terra Invicta, we can certainly have you back on either for a record or a live podcast. Absolutely. I would look forward to it. All right. And uh, before I let you go, besides Performance Interactive's website, are there any social media that you would like to plug right now? Uh, that would be the main one. I would just do that one. That's, that's okay. yeah. <laughs> All right. Not a problem. So I guess with that said, my final question for you, John, for our casting mm-hmm. is, do you have any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to say to the fans listening? Um, well, I mean, for the, the ones who've played our mods so far and are thinking about playing our games, thank you. Um, you guys are, are why, really why we do it. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it, I'm it's, uh, I started out making something just for myself, but, uh, it is, uh, uh, much more fun to make things for, uh, a cool audience. So <laughs> that's what I got. Awesome. So. With that said, we are going to wrap things up for this week's cast. So for those of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like support or follow Game Wisdom, we have several options available. If you like submit a piece for a future post or be a podcast guest, check out Submissions Wanted on our front page. We are always looking for new people to come on and talk, and feel free to send me an email. You can follow me on Twitter at GW Bicer for thoughts and updates throughout the day. Check out the Game Wisdom YouTube channel for daily videos spotlighting games and discussing industry topics. And if you'd like to talk with us on a more day-to-day basis, our Discord channel is now open at the basic tier to everybody. You'll find links to that on the Game Wisdom Patreon. That's patreon.com slash GWBicer. Your donations can help to keep things going and allow us to have more content for everyone to enjoy. But that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Perceptive Podcast. Once again, thank you for tuning in and check back next week for another discussion about the art and craft of game design. Until then, have a good day.